Welcome to day 95 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are 2 Samuel chapters 10 through 12 and Psalm 40. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. The battles described in chapter 10 seem to be placed here by the narrator to link the story of Mephibosheth to the next chapter, the story of Bathsheba. Like the story of Mephibosheth, David is again trying to show someone kindness, but it also sets the context of David and the battles that will lead to his sin with Bathsheba. David tries to show honor to the Ammonites at the death of their king because of the protection and loyalty they offered him earlier in his journey. Ironically, the name of the king's son, Haman, contains the Hebrew root word for grace. David tries to show Haman grace, but he gets suspicion and the humiliation of his messengers in return. In verse 7, we are told that David sent Joab off to fight the Ammonites and their new ally, the Arameans. This may be the brief connection being made with the story that is to come. David joins the battle later in the chapter, but here the narrator lets us know that David has started sending his men into battle while he stays at home. Leading the troops was one of the major responsibilities of the king, but David has started letting others fight his battles for him. Chapter 11, of course, tells the story of David's major failure as a leader, his adultery with Bathsheba, and his murder of her husband Uriah. It's a tragic story, but it is an amazing piece of ancient literature. The narrator, in just a few words, paints the picture of a king growing accustomed to his luxury. He sends his men off to battle, but David stays behind. He takes a nap in the middle of the afternoon that lasts until evening. He wanders around leisurely around the roof of his house, looking down on those around him. Seven times in the text, the verb for sent is used. David's no longer the humble Hakatan shepherding his people. He has become an emperor-like figure sending and manipulating his citizens. When he sees Bathsheba and asks about her, she is described in relational terms as a daughter and a wife. David does not treat her relationally, but as an object. She is sent for, used by him, and then sent home. There's only one problem. She's now pregnant. David's initial sin only gets worse as he tries to scheme his way out of his problems. Again, the narrator, in just a few verses, paints an incredible contrast between the character of David and that of Uriah. David has stayed home from battle, sleeping in his comfortable bed, Uriah refuses to go home and sleeps on the ground in solidarity with his fighting colleagues rather than going down to his comfortable home and to his beautiful wife. Not even David's attempt to get Uriah drunk alters his loyal character. So David sends Uriah to his death, carrying his death orders in his own hand. David's cover-up plan works thanks to the complicit behavior of Joab. Maybe David has gotten away with his sin. Unfortunately for David, the God who saw his heart as a boy anointed by Samuel still sees not just his actions, but still sees his heart. Chapter 12 opens with a bit of powerful humor. Seven times in chapter 11, David sent people here and there, but now God sends the prophet Nathan to David. Again, the storytelling is amazing. Nathan draws David into his story of the misuse of power without David suspecting that the story is really about him. Offended by the thieving abuse committed by the man in the story, David declares in verse 6 that the one who stole the ewe lamb must make a sevenfold restitution. You may notice after the word sevenfold a footnote that takes you down to tell you about a variation in the text. 
The Septuagint states that the restitution should be sevenfold, the number of completion. However, in the Masoretic text, David declares that the restitution should be fourfold, and that may be significant because David will indeed lose four sons, pay fourfold. He'll lose the baby born to Bathsheba, he loses his son Amnon, his son Absalom, and his son Adonijah. Their deaths will set the stage for Solomon, whose name means peace or restitution, to become David's ultimate successor as king. Nathan's prophetic courage is demonstrated when he declares to David's face that he is the man, and God is angry with the king and will bring judgment upon him. To his credit, David responds not with anger of his own, but with confession. I have sinned against the Lord, David replies to Nathan. David's attempt to get God to turn from his divine judgment fails. David's sin may be forgiven, but it still comes with consequences. Bathsheba's first child with David came as the result of being used. Her second child will be the product of comfort and love. She gives birth to Solomon, who is given the secondary name Jedidiah, meaning loved by the Lord. The Psalms most often associated with David's sin with Bathsheba are Psalms 32 and 51. But our psalm for today, Psalm 40, also celebrates God's ability to lift us out of the messes we too often make for ourselves. Verse 2 states, He lifted me out of the pit of death, out of the mud and filth, and set my feet on solid rock. He steadied my legs. The story of David and Bathsheba is a reminder of the temptation to misuse power, but it's also a reminder of how we can too often make a bad situation worse by compounding our mistakes with more misdeeds. Instead of recognizing and confessing our failures, seeking forgiveness and making restitution, we try to cover up our initial transgressions by committing more sin. Again, these are tragic but important stories told well. So read these chapters carefully, looking for things you've never seen before. Journal your thoughts, prayers, and questions. And be where you're supposed to be, and don't let sin keep compounding. Our text for tomorrow? Our 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 15. I'll talk to you tomorrow.